everyone. This is Carmen. And Christina. And this is Historias Unknown, a podcast where we talk about Latin American history. Sometimes it's horrible and deals with heavy topics like racism, corruption, and genocide. But more than that, it's also about resistance, power, and community. And today is horrible. Oh, wow. Great. Yes, I'm talking about a student massacre that happened um, in El Salvador in 1975. And then I was looking at other topics because I was like, I'm so tired. I thought you were going to talk about in Mexico, but go on. <laughs> oh, yeah, because there is a student massacre in Mexico. Yeah. Is that the Tlatel- Tlateloco massacre? I believe that so. is on my topic list. Um, But no, this is another massacre because there is one too many. <laughs> one is too many and there's too many already. Mm, sadly yeah and i really wanted to talk about this um when miss universe was happening but oh. you know we haven't recorded um and it's been a while we were on a little break mm-hmm. we were we were so you know what it's never too late to talk about these things yeah um so we have talked about the salvadoran civil war many times on historias unknown and you know we've gone all all the way back to la matanza which was the massacre of the Pipil indigenous people in 1932. And you can check out episode one, where we talk about how everything led to that day. And it's all related to coffee. But I'm going to do a very brief 1970s background context to okay. lead, that leads up to the massacre. So like we've said before, there were growing tensions between the oppressive right-wing government and the growing left. And this included murders and massacres enacted by the right wing secret police and death squads, which, by the way, were being funded. Mm, yes. <laughs> by Israel. Which means by proxy of the United States also. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, the United States, Israel, and then. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah, how curious that just literally just year, a couple years after this country, quote unquote country, became a country. They began funding right-winged yeah. monsters and dictators in Latin America. Interesting, to say the least. Mm-hmm. So, before the Civil War itself, there were massacres that in... Uh, in oh my God, why did In and of itself? No, in a, oh. inevitably. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Because sometimes when you say that, it also sounds like... Or, yeah, know, I also started stuttering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So inevitably, okay, inevitably contributed to El Salvador's path to civil war. And that includes the massacre I'm talking about today. El Salvador had always been a country of vastly different socioeconomic classes, starting from the rise of industrialism, capitalism, with like the indigo, you know, people, capitalists and like white people always descended upon Central America to take advantage of its resources so yeah. before coffee it was indigo right the color the thing that makes I, the color i didn't know the dye. oh did i not talk about that in the coffee episode that was a while ago i, I, I only mentioned it briefly that maybe yeah because before coffee plantations they were plantations to oh, okay get that plant that turns okay. things purple or whatever so coffee made the country boom in economic riches, but these riches only came to 2% of the Salvadoran population, many who were American or English capitalists who moved there looking for their next big buck. None of this money was going to anyone that was Salvadoran. While this 2% grew richer and richer, everyone else grew more poor, especially indigenous communities and rural communities, which often are one and the same. Mm-hmm. In response to the growing economic disparities, leftists began to organize and they attempted an uprising. And this is when they attacked the coffee hacienda owners and then military slash the 
the police were brought in to stop this uprising. And this is when the Matanza happened. They they stopped this uprising by committing genocide. This is when 30,000 mostly indigenous people were murdered mm-hmm. by the state. And then they further repressed indigenous culture and with a bunch of new rules and things that, you know, further genocide. Like pre- trying to prevent them from practicing their culture. Yes. Mm-hmm. More repression. And on that day, they also killed um, activists, including Farabundo Marti. Mm-hmm. When this genocide happened and when further repression happened, this cemented the new order, the way things were going to work in El Salvador. The rich oligarchs were on top. Okay, yeah. And everyone else was garbage, like under, right? And of course, this lasted years, decades. The poor grew more poor. And began to oppose this arrangement that they didn't agree to. Yeah. And so they began organizing again, especially in the 60s and 70s. And then in 1969, which we've also talked about before, but the Honduras and Salvador war that lasted four days happened. This war strengthened the Salvadoran military, who were at this time supplied by Israel, West Germany and the U.S. So they received more weapons when this war happened. Then, 1972 elections were held, but they were fraudulent. The fraudulently elected president was Arturo Armando Molina, who was also colonel of the Salvadoran military. Okay. He lost the popular vote, but still the candidates were both corrupt and right-winged. Both bad, okay. Yeah, because the other candidate was José Napoleón Duarte. I feel like you would recognize the last name Duarte. No. Okay, well, he went on to be a president in 1980 to 1982, during which some of the worst human rights violations of the Civil War took place. Yikes. So that was the other candidate. (laughs) But nobody wanted Arturo Armando Molina as president. Not the right wing, not the left, nobody. There was a coup attempt by military youth to instate Jose Napoleon Duarte, the other candidate, as president, but it failed. And again, like I said, he did come back in 1980 to 82 and committed terrible, terrible um, war crimes. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Because this is how his presidency started and so many were already opposed to his presidency. This led Arturo Armando Molinas to use a lot of repression to silence his opponents and any dissidents. Um, And then dissidents, just if anyone was a dissident, it's like, what does that mean? People who were like... Someone who was opposing the ruling power government Mm -hmm. yes and um so among these people there was the salvadoran university students who largely opposed his presidency and were mostly leftist they were like part of the group that was joining the growing left and to repress the student activity he sent the military to occupy the university of el salvador in 1972 shutting down the university And it remained closed until 1973. And I want to say, like, there's a thing where right to an education is a crime. Like, you need or not letting people access education is, like, not allowed, right? Is that not a... Is it? Like a a human rights violation? I thought so. I don't know. I don't think I've, like... Like, from the, like, the UN human rights or whatever? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any destruction by the occupying power to personal property belonging to 
individually or collectively private persons or to the persons or to the state is not allowed. And this would include universities. Of course, that these laws are not existent, did they? When did they? No, they did. What am I saying? They did. So yeah, yeah did. this was wrong already. Occupying yeah. the university. That was the whole point of that. So <laughs> yeah, they shut down the university until mid-1973. He forced it to close. And eventually it did reopen again. The military left. And when it reopened, he, the president, declared it a center of Marxist indoctrination. Wow. But I feel like a lot of what a lot of these people don't understand is that by further repressing, by enacting war crimes, by attacking people, violating citizens, you're pushing people to the left regardless. Yeah. yeah. Because how else are people going to respond to these kind of attacks on themselves? Like, what do you think is going to happen? This didn't stop the students. Tensions, protests continued, especially when El Salvador was to host Miss Universo in 1975. The finale of Miss Universe was held on July 19th, 1975. And while TV audiences were only shown the beautiful parts of El Salvador, only the beaches were filmed, only the newly like designed stadium, whatever, only all these things were the, what was shown to the public. Not the military presence that was growing um, and the protests. None of that was shown. So when the finale was airing on TV, university students in San Salvador and Santa Ana took to the streets. They were peacefully marching to protest the use of government funds on Miss Universe because they used government funds to pay for all of this. When there was such huge social inequality already like that money should have gone to the people people. Mm -hmm. yes and that's what they were protesting corruption government corruption because the government used one million colones 114 i asked kyle how to say this number and i forgot 114,393 dollars and 10 cents is what they used and that's money at the time now if you like convert Mm -hmm. it to money now like it's more yeah So the president declared that these protests were a part of a bigger communist plot. And then he sent out heavily armed forces to stop these peaceful protests. These clashes, um, we know when the military met the peaceful protests, resulted in 12 deaths, 20 injuries, 20 injured people and 40 arrests. But the government, their numbers are different. (laughs) They reported one death, five injuries and 11 arrests. Oh, of course they did. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then on top of all of the violence of that day of them killing those students and arresting that many they then raided the university of el salvador in san salvador with the national police this state repression it didn't sit right with the rest of the students so they organized another protest on july 30th 1975 around 2 p.m that day the university of el salvador students and high school students walked out of the main campus in San Salvador. They were peacefully marching when around 4.30 p.m. they were attacked by armed forces as they reached the overpass in front of the general hospital in San Salvador. And like a reminder, the, an overpass is like a bridge, just in case your brain doesn't work like mine sometimes. <laughs> Soldiers threw gas canisters and opened fire on them immediately. There was no... You know, sometimes police arrive with their stupid riot shields and they like try to push you back physically. There was none of that. They just outright attacked them. Yeah. Without Mm -hmm. any unprovoked. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. 
Several died right away. The student protesters were trapped on that overpass uh, by tanks on each side of the overpass. Some of the tanks began running students over. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the people that were still on the overpass were forced to jump off into traffic or try and climb the walls of the hospital to escape. Oh, my God. It's terrible. Seven deaths were reported by a newspaper, La Prensa Gráfica, which is still going on today. Mm-hmm. Um, while state authorities reported no deaths and 10 injuries. Today, investigations found the number of deaths to be in between 50 and 100 students. Well, that makes a lot more sense. Right. Especially with the way they immediately opened fire. They were running students over. And then closed them off. And then yeah, ran them over. That's horrible. Yes. That's like horrific terrible the army quickly removed the deceased to hide the evidence and they washed the street even like oh my god like i mean i knew i knew about this but it's still like hearing the details of it is yeah. terrible it like they purposely hid this and people didn't know what happened to their loved ones yep i mean this is disappearing people right like this is yes. you know what i mean which is a, th- a thing that these states use. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw it all over Latin America in this time period. Mm-hmm. The disappeared of Argentina. Every- everywhere, everywhere. It's terrible. Yeah. Even to this day, it's happening. Yeah. Which w- I, I, we will get into. But what I think someone we both follow a lot of his work, but Daniel yes. Al- Alvarenga, his uncle was in yeah. this protest. Yeah. Yeah, they hid the evidence away. No one has been held accountable for this atrocity. A group of survivors asked the Attorney General of El Salvador in 2020 to investigate the human rights violations that took place on that day. But nothing ever happened with that. Of course. And of course it didn't. Not with Bukele in charge. Mm -hmm. This massacre radicalized the survivors and other students, of course. The People's Revolutionary Bloc was formed shortly after, which was a militarized left-winged organization, as well as the FPL. During the war, these groups will all merge into the FMLN. One survivor of this massacre, Gustavo Guillén, spoke with Revista Debate, the online magazine, to give his account of the day. And he did that in 2015. He was living in Toronto, Canada, and he's a psychologist. Mm. So he, yeah, he gave an account of what happened uh, on that day, like his own account, what he experienced. So he joined the protest with some friends. As they continued to march, they were met with gunfire. Many got away. According to him, there was 200 students on the overpass. And so if there was 200 students on the overpass, then the number from the investigation... The 100 to 150. Makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. Terrible. So he says that while the armed forces fired at them, he saw a friend fall from the overpass onto the road below. And when she fell, she was still alive because she didn't jump. She fell Mm -hmm. off. And then he saw a tank move forward and run her over on purpose. Oh, my God. And then her body was cut in half. And he saw that and he was in shock. Like he could feel himself going into shock. God. I mean, how could you not be... Yeah, but then like they just kept getting fired at and he at that moment understood he was in the middle of a massacre. Yeah, like this wasn't just a normal stopping uh, protest. He was being massacred. It was an outright massacre. Yeah. Yeah. 
So then he jumped from the overpass and he luckily landed on top of a car. And it went in his interview, he's like, I was agile. I was 19. Like, I was lucky because other friends of his or other people he knew jumped and then were injured yeah. from the jumping and then were killed. Because mm-hmm, then you couldn't get away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So he ran into un taller, a car mm. shop. So he ran into a car shop and um, hid there. And he helped others hide as they passed by. One girl had been attacked with tear gas and was choking as she was like passing by. And so he helped her inside and to hide. And this turned out to be Nadia Diaz, who went on to become una comandante in the FMLN. Oh, wow. Yeah, a commander in the FMLN. He and a friend saw someone else that was injured pass by and they went to go help that student. And the army found them at that moment and began firing. He told his friend because the other guy was severely injured already. He told his friend, like, if we want to live, we have to let him go and run. His friend didn't listen, but he ran. They were killed. Can you imagine the survivor's guilt? Yes. Like having to be in that position of it's them or me. And I mean, people, you're survival mode like kicks in so it's like you yeah i know that there's survival's guilt like that feeling but like you people can't hold themselves like you know yeah yeah exactly accountable because they're not in their right like logical mindset mind like you're in shock you're traumatized you're you know uh-huh, if he ahead. had if he had been killed that day we wouldn't how know could he yeah yeah how could he go on to not share his testimony or he wouldn't be able to go on god it reminds me sorry to keep cutting you off reminds me of um, rufina maya who oh had my to god choose, yes uh to leave and get away but if she had not gone away and left her children she would have been killed and the world wouldn't know what happened and wouldn't know the atrocities of el salvador exactly you know all it, their atrocities aided and you know funded by the united states yeah exactly and like i because i just made a tiktok video that mm-hmm. went viral um about rufina maya which i'm so glad because people need to know her story and i'm floored by the thousands of comments of people that did not know about el mozote yeah and honestly i almost cried because i'm like anything to keep this story for people to know what happened and th- that's why i love this podcast <laughs> me too that's why i love what we're doing here yes um, yes pat on our shoulders <laughs> but Someone commented that um, they're like, wow, she like what a terrible mother choosing her own life before her children. And I'm like, how? She's like, they were like, I would have gotten away with my children. I'm like, how? They had already been separated at that point. And, but and you, it's so easy to sit there and say, I would have done this. First of all, there is there was no way she could have. And sometimes people have to make choices like that, you know? Yeah. And so I don't, I'm like, why are you even saying this right and now? Some, some things are bigger than you and yourself you know what i mean like yeah i like remember um the video we you and i both watched it right or did i just watch it of her giving her testimony and on a video i don't remember it's the one i used to write all my notes yeah um, i think i watched but, part of it okay it's it's so sad but in the video she says like i i in that moment i knew like my role was not to save my children because yeah. there was no way it was to share yeah what happened with the world and mm-hmm. that's what she did Ugh. And and same with th- with him. Um, he went on to become a psychologist. He went on to say, like, I was a young man with ideals like Allende, Che, dreams of liberation. To this day, that that day, the massacre formed who I am today, a professor of psychology and a psychologist. If I had to choose again, I would do it all over again. And if it comes to it today, I would participate in uprisings. Yeah. 
against oppressive and corrupt governments. But I also, um, I wanted to add that this happened in 1975. The weapons used to kill these students were likely given slash funded by the state of Israel because from 1975 to 1979, over 80% of military imports came from Israel. Yeah. And although the U.S. was providing the majority of funding by the start of the Civil War in 1981, before that, it was Israel. And in 1983, they were still providing practical assistance to El Salvador, which included helicopters, trucks, rifles, tanks, ammunition, and infantry advisors. So, yeah, like, it's just... And it's it's a never ending story because even now I'm still like as of last week signing petitions and letters uh, to Congress to stop military aid to El Salvador <laughs> from CSPES. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'll have to send it to you. That's true. And we'll put it in the show notes, too, because, yeah, today and, and this is actually I was going to mention that's like that's the end of my notes. But I did want to mention that. This repression that was happening in 1975, the state violence, the disappearing of people, it parallels El Salvador today. Yeah. And and I, and it's I'm floored by the number of people that just and we said it time and time again, but that people that stand Bukele, first of all, standing a political figure, barf. It's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> like, how can you No, like there's not even words to describe how embarrassing that is. And the same goes for Biden. The same goes for Trump. Like, politicians are not our friends. They are the enemy. <laughs> They're not here for us. But yeah, yeah, like we were saying, the what's going on, what happened then and what's going on now in Salvador really is such a parallel because we're seeing people being disappeared. People are looking for their uncles, fathers, sons, brothers. Because it's mostly men, but although there are some women being taken, including activists, journalists, people that are, are literally not gang members, because El Salvador is still under the state of exception. People are still being arrested and held without any trials for an und- undetermined amount of time. For no reason. For no reason. And anytime someone posts, because I've seen it on Twitter um, all the time, where people are like, Am I, I'm still looking for my uncle, I'm still looking for my so-and-so, and then there'll be comments like, oh i'm sure they're in that prison because they're a good person oh i'm sure that they're not a marero and it's like how dumb can you be how 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 do you not see it especially having but that was the whole point of them trying to move past the civil war move past yes yeah past and that's why oh i'll leave no go on (laughs) i was just gonna say that's why education and colleges and students are always attacked under these authoritarian regimes and even here why the right-wing movement is so against college and and university educations and why they think you're and critical race theory and the public education system and yeah because and that's without even acknowledging like the fact that they don't even teach actual little like we learned yeah. whitewashed, you know, history. So I don't even like we're not learning about these massacres exactly, and yeah. U.S. involvement in Latin America. Because when you know the truth and when you find out actual historic events and how the government, you know, committed atrocities and the patterns of authoritarian regimes, then you recognize those things and then you can fight them. But when you're ignorant, you you know, well, you don't know. You don't know. What are you yeah. going to fight if you don't know? Mm-hmm. And and again, because 
this this is El Salvador and this is the United States, which was, you know, El Salvador was also being funded by Israel and who El Salvador, even though they have a Palestinian <laughs> president, mm-hmm. he's like a diehard for Israel. Mm-hmm. And it's just important to acknowledge who is funding these governments that were committing atrocities and who is still committing atrocities because all of this is connected, as we see today with the Palestinian fight for liberation. Who who was oppressing Palestine and who was helping oppress people yeah. all over the world? Yeah. The United States and Israel. Like. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you ask yourself why. And it's because the United States needs the resources and that area. You know what I mean? Yeah. It all comes back to money, making more money, capitalist interests, the military industrial complex, making more money. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the at the end of the day, the people that win with these type of right winged governments is the rich. Yeah. And they're going to serve governments are going to serve the interests of the wealthy. That's hands down what's always going to happen and what will continue to happen if I don't know. And that's why it's embarrassing when people, you know, working class people support, you know, right wing people without realizing or caring that. They're harming you, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it, it does come out of ignorance, I think, because we don't learn how these things happen. Yeah. Anyway, I guess this brings us to the end of the episode. Um. Oh, sorry. There was actually. Do you want to give the quick bukele update about how he stepped down? Um. I mean, I can't explain it that well because I haven't fully read into it past posts on Instagram. But my understanding of it is Bukele stepped down and put someone in charge who is actually a Nueva Ideas party member as well. Um, And he stepped down supposedly to not violate the constitution about how he's been running consecutively or he's been the president consecutively like because, you know, people were like, he can't just become the president again when he's been the president. So he's supposedly he's stepping down from being president so that he can run again. But still, he can't serve this many terms like. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here it is. Um, so this is from CSPES C- from December. Oh, yes. Perfect. That's like the earlier best. this month. Yeah. Yeah. Place so, to get information. Mm-hmm. So um, it says, Bukele stepping down as president of El Salvador does not change the unconstitutionality of his re-election bid. So he stepped down as president on November 30th to pursue his campaign to remain in office for the upcoming February 4th, 2024 elections. So then it goes on to say President Bukele asking Congress for a leave of absence is a move designed to give the illusion that he's complying with the Salvadorian Constitution. But as we have been hearing from legal experts and partners on the ground, nothing could be further from the truth as the Constitution is unequivocal in prohibiting consecutive reelection. President Bukele's actions, combined with widespread human rights violations, political persecution, and suspension of basic rights under the ongoing state of exception, and recent electoral reforms that limit local representation. I didn't even know about that. Wow. And the power of opposition parties lead us to conclude that the 2024 electoral process cannot currently meet the internationally recognized standards for free, fair, and democratic elections. And I mean, yeah, uh, you're doing all this to limit local representation and the power of opposing parties. How does that not scream dictator to people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, the statement goes on. It says, given that President Bukele has complete control of all branches of government and no public institution will challenge him. It is telling that he is attempting to give his reelection bid a veneer of legality at all. 
making it seem like this election will be a true expression of democracy as opposed to the formal consolidation of a dictatorship is a trap that the international community must not fall into. It's hard to imagine any democratic government saying that a president's popularity should give them permission to remain in office if doing so is prohibited. And yet, this is the message the international community is sending by remaining silent. As organizations based in the United States, we are extremely concerned by indications that the Biden administration, which claims to respect the separation of powers and the rule of law, appears willing to look the other way regarding President Bukele's unconstitutional participation in the upcoming elections. We encourage the U.S. and all international governments and organizations to listen to civil society organizations in El Salvador that have made clear that unless rulings and policies intended to further consolidate the Bukele's power are reversed, including the controversial 2021 Supreme Court opinion, giving the president the green light to seek re-election, the Salvadorian people will not be able to exercise the right to their right to a truly democratic election. They also have a post from early December about the United States normalizing Bukele's unconstitutional bid for re-election um, and like them showing their ongoing support for him and his um, regime. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, what is it? Oh, the president... And national security advisor to Her- to Kamala Harris met, his name is Phil Gordon, the assistant to Kamala Harris, met with Bukele in November. So, yeah. And time and time again, we see the United States on the wrong side. So anyone who they support, you got a question. <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah. OK, I guess now this brings us to the end of the episode. I hope that you learned something today and that this was one less historia unknown for you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I was going to say, as always, visit ceasefiretoday.com. And yes, thank you, everyone, for listening. Carmen lost her voice suddenly, so I'm just (laughs) having a cough attack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And yeah, uh, we'll catch everyone next time. Bye. Bye.